Good evening. My name is Carl. I'm a compulsive overeater. Hey, Carl. Hi. First of all, I want to thank the people that have gotten me here that have been after me for the last six months. Uh, I've always had another reason. And you know what? Service is its own reward. And, and I know that. And uh, I kept putting it off and putting it off. So I'm really honored and glad to be here. And I'm grateful for their persistence. And I'm gra- grateful for my willingness instead of my digging my feet in and saying, no, this is the way I'm going to do it. And I'm not going to do it. But be open to the possibilities. So, uh, for those of you that like numbers, uh, I've been in program for 14 years, 14 and a half years. I have 11 years and two months of continuous abstinence. I have no idea what my weight loss is. I'm not a 100-pounder. I've lost maybe 50, 60 pounds of physical weight, about three to 5,000 pounds of emotional weight, and I have another, another 7 to 12,000 12, pounds of emotional weight to go, so I keep coming back. And that's my bottom line is that I have grown tremendously in this program as a human being, as, as one of you, as a fellow in this program, as a brother, as a son, as a co-worker, as an employee, and as a boyfriend. So uh, I've got to grow on all levels. And uh, I will tell you, it has not been, I came in and I got it. Each year as I look back at the year before, I say, look at the growth I've made. Look at the changes I've made. And I, I get it when I get it. So um, what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. I'd like to start with what it's like now, because that's what's most prevalent in my mind t- tonight. Um, a week ago, I was, uh, two weeks ago, rather, I was celebrating my mother's 87th birthday. And God bless her. She's, she's one of those people that I hope when I'm 87, I can be like her. I really do. But my mother is uh, showing the signs of being 87 years old. So she's beginning to get very forgetful, and she's beginning to get uh, to be 87 years old. And the best way I can describe her today is that if you take a piece of paper and you photocopy it, and then you make a photocopy of that photocopy, and you make a photocopy of that photocopy, and a photocopy of that photocopy, she's in about in the 87th photocopy, and so she's diminished. I can see the original. I see that it's there, but it's not the same. It's the same person, but it's diminished. And... Um, that hurt. That hurt. Part of that trip two weeks ago was to take things out of her home that will now reside in my home. And that hurt. And um, I got to go through it abstinently. And I got to cry. Not in front of her, not in front of my brother, not with my sister, but with you fellows. I was in Florida, and I took the stuff and put it in the car and took it off to wherever I took it to be shipped. And after I left it, I was hysterical. So I got on the phone, called my sponsor, called people in OA, and said, this is just, and, you know, I wasn't worried about eating that moment. But I knew from my past experience that if I didn't talk about that moment at that moment, three months from now I'll be eating over it and not knowing why I'm eating because it builds up in me. So I need to deal with the present moment at the present moment. And um, it was hard. It was it was very difficult. And uh, now when I t- and it also works in my favor. Don't get me wrong. There's pluses and minuses to this because she doesn't remember. If I ask her the same question, if I don't get the answer I want, I ask the same question 20 minutes later, and I wait till I get the answer I want, and then go with that. And that you know I can make that work, and I can laugh about it, and not abuse that privilege because I wouldn't ask her something really urgent. It was little things like, do you want to do this or do you want to do that? And uh, as a compulsive overeater, I asked her if she wanted to go to dinner, if she was hungry. She says, no, I'm not hungry right now. 
So I said, well, I'm hungry. Let's go. So we went to the restaurant, and she had every bite on her plate. And I got to see, that's me. You know, they say a sandwich always tastes better when it's made by somebody else. She wasn't hungry because for years she's been the food preparer. And she didn't have the energy to make the meal, but you put it in front of her, she'll eat it. Good thing to be aware of. So I learned how to be an observer as well as a participant. Um, I'm very fortunate. I have a brother that has taken our mother in, and she's now going to live with him. And there's that whole transition, and there's the family dynamic or lack of dynamic uh, that I go through with them. And so there was all of that, and it gets to hurt. And the good news is I get to feel it. The good news is I get to cry. The good news is I get to to be upset with my family or be or celebrate with my family. And the good the best news is that I get to bring it here. And I mentioned to someone, and then I remember, oh gee, so and so went through that with their parent, or so and so went through that, or so and so is, is a is a geriatric social worker. So I find what I need in this group, which I would not find anywhere else. And so I come here and I put it out there what I'm going through, and people tell me what they're going through. You know, uh, and what their experience, strength, and hope has been. And my family um, is dysfunctional. Is I really don't want to insult the dysfunctional people of the world. Uh, they are not dysfunctional. They are below dysfunctional. And as a family, we are. I mean, we do not function uh, as as a family. Uh, both my younger sister and I are gay, and our older brother is homophobic. Gee. Uh, my, my older brother thinks he's an only child and makes decisions based on that fact, that he's an only child. And that gets to be difficult. And the reason I am so celebrating this last trip with my brother uh, is that I brought what I learned in these rooms to that relationship. I brought humility. I brought lack of ego. I brought calmness. I brought working through things. And I just spoke my truth. I learned that I do have a voice, even in my own family. I have a wonderful voice here in OA, um, because we're all equal. We all have a wonderful voice. And so I got to practice that. I got to flex that muscle, not feel less than. And this time, I did not feel less than. And my, my sister was not able to join us. It was my mother's birthday, and she wasn't able to join us for her own reasons. And I made sure that we did a phone conversation where all of us were on the phone. And when my brother said, well, come to my house and we'll do it there, I said, no, come to mom's house, we'll do it there, because I didn't want the distraction. But I put out what I needed, what I thought would be best. I got kudos from the people in my family that I care about. And I said, you know, that's what I learned in this program. Speak my truth and not be afraid of the consequences. I said what I needed. I needed to have all four of us talk. I needed to have it at mother's house. I needed to be in that place. And I got to be of service to my brother. I got to be of service to my mother. I got to be of service to my brother. But most of all, I got to be of service to myself. I left there with a sense of dignity and self-worth. So when I came into the program, I didn't have those things. When I came into the program, I entered these rooms as general manager of the universe. I I knew how to do it all. You were either my best friend or my worst enemy. And... um, I didn't have a lot of friends. Gee, I wonder why. People couldn't stand being around me. And I was very caustic. Um, And today, I have people that when there's something going on at the office, they call me at home. And they say, i got to talk to you. Someone's calling me and they have to talk to me? Yeah. Because I learned here that I can calm down and I can be of service. And I can be right, and you can be right, and we can have totally opposite views on the same thing.
And it's okay. I don't have to be right. I just have to be right for me. Uh, just before I came into program, uh, I went to my doctor, and I was having terrible uh, pain in my, in my right elbow. And he examined me. He says, well, you've got tennis elbow. And I said, you know, that's really funny from someone who does no athletics. I mean, it's like, yeah, I don't even watch them on TV. I mean, they're so far out of room. He said, well, you know, that's just the saying that's used for overusing that joint. I said, ah, overusing the right elbow joint. Well, gee, that makes sense because I was always eating. And the times I wasn't eating, I had a two-by-four in my hand. I was beating myself up. So, yes, as most tennis players, I had overused that elbow and went on medication. And, of course, I was general manager of the universe. So, of course, I was on medication, which I took incorrectly, which then gave me my first stomach ulcer. But I knew it all. You know, I didn't have to listen to the doctor. So today I know how to listen to my doctor. Still have the same doctor. He's put up with me. And now I know how to listen. Now I, had to, now I had, know how to take medication and take instruction and listen to the people that I believe know more than I do, which is the people I turn to. If I don't believe someone knows more than I do, I don't need to listen to that instruction. But that's why I have a sponsor who has more time in this program than I do. And I speak to his sponsor who has more time than he does. And I spoke to his, his sponsor who has more time than he does because they are the people that have the experience that I, need to, that I need to tap into. And so I had to learn how to take direction because I really thought I knew everything. I thought I was hips looking cool. I thought I could do it all. I thought, you know, here I am. I'm, I'm in charge. I know what I'm doing. And yet I was friendless. I could not stop eating. I could not. Well, the bottom line is I believe that there's a compulsive gene, just like there's a gene for certain color eyes and certain hair and tall, short, male, female, all that other stuff. I believe that there's a compulsive gene, and I have it. I am a compulsive fill-in-the-blank. I go to OA meetings. I have participated in other fellowships. And whenever my food is squeaky clean, I look at my entire life because OA is not just a program about three meals a day for me. Always a program of my life, and it opened my eyes to the fact that I am a compulsive fill-in-the-blank. I still do it with television. I walk in the house, first thing I do is turn on the TV. You know, it's just another way of avoiding life. Um, if I'm driving someplace, what's the first thing I do? Turn on the radio, turn on the cassette player, turn on, you know, anything to not listen to this. Well, that was fine in the old days, because in the old days, this was a really bad... CD player that I kept trying to throw cassette tapes in, you know, and it just wasn't working. But now I have found, see, I believe that there is a, a, still a voice in my head. You know, I don't think we can, I don't think I, for me, I can ever get rid of that. I think there will always be the going on. And I said, well, if I can't get rid of it, I got to tone down the volume. And I have found the volume switch. I really have. And it's not food. I found the volume switch in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. It taught me how to lower that volume. It taught me how to take what goes on in there. Because, you know, every now and then there's a valid thought. Not many, but there is a valid thought there every now and then. And I need to be open to that possibility as well. I don't want to be in the black and the white. I don't want to be, I'm either all right or all wrong. I don't want to be either my thoughts are all good or they're all bad. My thoughts are my thoughts. And I need to listen to them and be in a proper spiritual place where I can reject the ones that need rejecting, accept the ones that need accepting, and question the ones that need questioning. See, because if I either reject or accept, I'm in control. That means I've taken the control back. 
Whereas if I'm willing to question some of those thoughts, some of those voices in my head, and how do I question? I don't ask myself because that's how I got there. That's a good time to call a sponsor. That's a good time to call a sponsee. That's a good time to make an outreach call. The three hardest words in the English language um, American society tells us are I love you. Not. My experience of the three hardest words for me are I don't know. Because I never knew how to say that. And today I know how to say that. Today I know how to ask for directions. If I'm going someplace I don't know, how do I get there? Which I'm told men don't do that. Well, okay, here's one who does. Because I'm tired of being lost. I lived in New York uh, for the first 32 years of my life. And I used to joke that I would get lost driving going around the block. And I kept that when I moved here. And I had to drive. I mean, you know, who, who drove? In you know, New York, you get on the bus, you get on the subway, you take a taxi, you go. But here I had to learn how to drive and, be, and do all that kind of stuff. And I just kept saying that about myself. that Oh, I didn't know my way here and I didn't know my way there. And, of course, in those days, I didn't ask. And now, you know what? I really do know my way around town. Because when I don't know my way around town, my first thought is, I don't know my way around. That's not my first thought. My first thought is, how do I get there? When I came into the program, um, there was a, a very um, large presence in my life that was very, very, very critical of me. Unfortunately, I lived with him, and that was me, because I couldn't do anything right. And I've been working with my current sponsor for over 11 years, and I think it took him the first three years or four years, I can't remember how long, for him to convince me that I didn't have to beat myself up anymore, that there were enough people out there that are willing to do that for me, and that I don't have to do that to myself and I said, what do you mean, but, 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 but what do you mean? He says, there you go. You're questioning. I would keep saying, well, I did okay, but. He says, no, you either did okay or you didn't do okay. You know, you either pick it up or you don't pick it up. You don't almost pick it up. You either pick it up or you don't pick it up. And so I got to the point that now I don't flagellate myself. I can't beat myself up anymore. I can't tell myself that I'm wrong, I'm stupid, I fucked up. Those, those are not phrases that come into my, into my life anymore. When I do my 10th step at night, it's based on, did I do the best I could today, and where could I have done better? And if I can identify where I, can done, where I could have done better, that's the place I get to do my amends the next day. But again, I'm not beating myself up. It's the same concept. It's the way I approach it. Because if I were to approach it as a beating myself up, or I'm wrong, or I screwed up, or I didn't do right, one more time, that, that doesn't serve me. That stops me dead in my tracks. I can't move. That puts a stranglehold on me. And so I've learned that have I done the best I can? I'm not saying that I do it right and perfectly all the time, but I do the best that I can. And when I don't do perfectly, you know, perfectionism is one of my character defects. Uh, when I came in here, I thought I only had characteristics. When I read all that stuff, six and se- step six and seven, I thought, you know, I was reading about character uh, characteristics. And I wasn't. I was, what I was really reading about was character defects. And again, now I have to determine which are the characteristics, which are the character defects, which are the things I need to turn over to my higher power, and which are the things that I need to revel in. And thank God that I have them. Because i got some really kick-ass characteristics. And i got some kick-butt character defects. And so I, I, I get to see which is which. I will say that, that in the 11 years I have worked the steps, I've gone through them, and each time I look at them, I find something new and something different. And I hear people say that they came and they thought they'd lose the weight and graduate and move on. I never thought that. I never, but I also never thought I'd be here 14 years. I just 
somehow came in thinking, well, I'll do it, and I'll do it, and I'll do it. And when I look back and think that I've done this, first of all, I've not done anything for 14 years, except acted out in some of my addictions. But there's nothing I've done for 14 years. And that I'm still here and still willing and still excited about the program, to me, is a miracle, because there's not a lot that really you know, gets me that excited. So what it was like is that uh, I grew up in a middle-class family. Uh, I'm the middle child, and everything you just thought about middle children, I'm it. As I said, my older brother, my younger sister, um, my younger sister and I hardly speak. Uh, my brother and I, we communicate on rare occasions. As long as it's about our mother, I'm willing to talk to them. Uh, as long as it's about almost anything else, I'm not willing to talk to them. And that is, today is my choice. And that took me nine years of abstinence to realize that I get to choose also. They've always, they were always deciding when they would talk or not talk to me or be in communication with me. And I found out that the way I want a family to be, the way I envision a family, the way I would like a family to be, is not their vision. Well, when you've got a group of people and you have different visions, you're not all going in the same way, you know. And so that doesn't work. And you know what? Today that's fine. I, we deal with our mother, as I say. We were all on the phone. Uh, when my father died, my sister and I were not speaking. I come from a traditional Jewish family, and I still practice my faith. And uh, we were sequestered for, for eight days in a house, and it was very hard. My brother was in his craziness because, according to him, our father died because of him, because he moved back to the United States. He should have stayed in Bogota, Colombia, where he lived, where they were shooting guns and killing people all the time. He, that, he should have stayed there so our father could live. And this is my brother. Uh, and he still believes that, by the way. He still believes that Dad died because he moved back to the United States. Yeah. God bless my brother. Uh, my sister um, at one point said, I can't talk to you anymore. And it turns out I supposedly did something to her as a child that she still holds against me. And to this day, she will not let me touch her daughter. And I'm fine. And, you know, that's fine. I bless them every morning. I, I wish the best for them. And um, I let them go their way because I can't control them. I have a hard enough time living my life. My sister lives in Oakland, five, 800 miles away. My brother lives in, in Florida, 3,000 miles away. I can't control that. I can be of service when I can be of service. I can speak my truth as long as I'm not hurting somebody else. And I can be present for the things that affect us all. because if I don't take care of me, the food will. The food is just waiting for me. You know, my, my food plan is three moderate meals a day. And I have to remember, this is moderate. Not this and not that and not anything I can get, shove down my face during my, quote, meal time. A moderate meal is a moderate meal. And yes, I was one of those people that when they came out with those jumbo baked potatoes, you know, Jumbo baked potatoes. I was the first one online to buy those. And you know what? They really are too big for me. And that's a miracle that I can actually say, no, I'm going to buy a regular potato. And uh, same thing with apples. Now they have extra large Granny Smith apples. I can't eat those. First of all, they're not as tasty. If you haven't tried them, my experience is they're not as tasty. They're made larger with hormones or something. So, you know, they don't taste as good. I don't enjoy them. But you know, I was getting the quantity. Well, you know what? I've learned I was a quantity eater. Was. That's who I was. I don't have to be that today. Today, I choose to eat more moderate meals. Today, I choose not to get upset if uh, my meal is not the largest at the table when, when, you know, when we're all sitting eating together. Today, I accept what's given to me. 
other than when my mother serves, because my mother still thinks I'm 17 when it comes to food. And uh, God bless her, you know. Over the years, it took me a long time to realize that she was the one person that's been in my corner since birth. And when I used to go visit, she'd, she'd always say, well, what diet are you on this time? Because I always used to be on a diet. I heard it, well, what diet are you on this time? And what she was saying is, I love you, how can I support you? I didn't realize that until I got into program. Talk about amends to make. Talk about resentments to work through. And I've done it. And I do it on a daily basis. And I do it the best I can. Um, one of my characteristics is perfectionism. Oh, no, that's character defect, sorry. One of, one of my character defects is perfectionism. And you know, so, again, I do it the best I can. So growing up, my best friend was food. Uh, I've been gay since birth. And so I was not into sports, and I'm 54 years old. So when I was growing up 40-plus years ago in elementary school, if you weren't into sports, you were nothing. Gee, I was nothing. I am sure that most people in elementary school, junior high school, and high school hardly even remember me. I was always there working and being of service because I was trying to win love. I was trying to win support. I would do it any way I could get it. If I worked hard enough, you know, if I was the star uh, collator on, on, in, in the office squad, if I was the best rexographer, if I was the best telephone operator, you'd like me because I was being of service. I was helping you. Well, you know what? That I was, but I, what I was really doing was buying love because I didn't get it at home, not in a way that I got it. I, as I look back now, my parents were giving it the best way they knew how. But they were broadcasting on FM and I was receiving on AM. We were both radios, but let me tell you, there was no communication. Lots of static. As a child, I was in therapy because I didn't get along with the family, um, which, of course, we couldn't tell my brother and sister. You know. So when it comes to secrets, I come, I come by it honestly. I come by it very honestly because uh, we, we couldn't tell each other what was going on. We couldn't be open and honest. You know, recently, uh, my brother, my boyfriend lives in Las Vegas, and my brother came to Las Vegas uh, for New Year's, and I was there for New Year's, so we all got together for what I thought would be a family dinner. And he was talking to our sister, and he keeps referring to Carl's friend. So I called him on. I said, you know, you know Stan, my boyfriend has a name. His name is Michael. You've met him. What is this, my friend? I said, do you think you could, you know, show a little more respect for the man I'm in a relationship with? I said, my relationship is as important to me as your wife is to you. Or as your children's boyfriend or girlfriend are to them. I said, I, I feel denigrated when you speak that way. Well, that's not what I meant. I said, I didn't ask you what you meant. I'm telling you what I heard. And I'm telling you how I feel. And that's, and that's it. We don't have to have a debate. We don't have to have a discussion. I just had to say what I felt. Because again, when I heard that from our sister, I would have eaten over it. It doesn't take me a lot to get me to eat. It really doesn't. You know, I, I get a reprieve three times a day when I stop. But you know, I could start again and my, my moderate could go from moderate to moderate large to, or to moderate medium to moderate large to, to jagunda. And I'd still call it moderate because if I'm not in a fit spiritual place, I ain't going to get it. When I came into this program, um, I was then, as I still am, um, very active. Well, I'm not as active now, but I, I was born and raised in a Jewish home, and I still practice that faith to the best of my ability and the best of my desire one day at a time each day. And I really thought I knew all about God. And, you know, I did. I knew a lot about God. I didn't know a lot about spirituality. I knew a lot about religion. 
and I learned here there's a big difference between religion and spirituality. And, you know, spirituality isn't taught, at least when I was a kid, it wasn't taught in the religious schools. I'm told now it's taught more and more. And I'm grateful for that because it means that we're bringing up a healthier group of young men and women. And I think that's great. But I came in here and I learned that I needed to have a contact with a higher power of my choosing that I got to define, that I got to create, so to speak. And so I did. And so I created my own higher power. And there are times I've had to change my, my definition of what I needed. And my higher power said, okay, fine, whatever you need. Let's, we'll go along with it. And I'm grateful because my higher power has not let me down. And today I have a relationship with a higher power that takes care of me and protects me from myself and from others that guides me in a way that I can never have found the path on my own if I just remember to turn it over. And I turn over as much as I can and as much as I'm willing to. And it starts every day with a little thing. No matter what time I leave the house to get from point from my house to wherever I'm going, I just say, okay, God, I'm think in my mind I'm ten minutes late in leaving. Get me there safely and get me there serenely. And I just drive. And I don't drive in and out. I don't zigzag and I don't race the yellow light, except sometimes. Still do that. Character defect, there it is. But I just turn it over and I just say, okay, God, I'm driving, you're controlling. There was a movie back in the 40s or the 50s, God is my co-pilot. And for those of you that know anything about aviation, the, the captain steers the plane, but the co-pilot sets the course. It's really the co-pilot, the navigator. And so I believe that God is my co-pilot. And so I get in the car and I just turn it over and I say, okay, I'm going to go. And, you know, I don't consciously think it, but all of a sudden somehow I go to turn off the radio and I, and I just... You know, like as I drove here, I listened to the radio for part of the time, and they said, wait a minute, I need some, I feel like I need some me time. And it's a, one, it's a wonderful gift. So I came in, and I learned that I needed to, to do that. And then I learned that I needed to uh, pray and meditate. Uh, and I heard so many people talk about getting up in the morning, first thing they do is hit, you know, hit the floor with their knees. And I said, well, thank you very much. I'm Jewish. That's not my thing. But you know what? Every morning now I get up, and I have a wonderful robe, similar to a prayer shawl in Judaism that I put on and I have a place that I sit and I spend the first half hour, three quarters of an hour every morning reading three meditation books, spending 20 minutes with my higher power. Then I have, and I don't believe I do this, I have an exercise bicycle. Good Lord, how that, how that got in my house, I don't know. <laughs> may have something to do with the fact that I paid for it and I tried it out, but because me and exercise, no. But you know what? My doctor, one of my doctors who I have, again, I've learned to respect the people that know more than I do, said, you know, you really need to exercise. I said, okay, I ain't going to get to a gym because of my life schedule, the way I live my life. Got to get it in the house. It looks hideous. I mean, I have a small 750-square-foot apartment, but you know what? It's what I need. So do I care what it looks like? No, because it's saving my life. And the funny thing, I just thought of it. It's the chair I sit in, the books are next to it, and right next to that is the bicycle. And it's all right there, my first hour of the morning. It's just that me time alone. It's that me time that I get to spend with my higher power. And I turn over my day and I turn over what I think is going to happen. And I look back and I say, oh, what, what do I have to do today? And when I get like, oh, I have this. And when the list starts getting really long, that's when I kick right into meditation because I said, no, I'm in my head. And being in my head is not where I'm supposed to be. In the morning, I'm supposed to be with my higher power. 
I mean, it's supposed to be in prayer of gratefulness and thankfulness, or it's supposed to be in meditation, just quietly letting my higher power come in. I have a great deal of respect for people that say their higher spe- power speaks to them. Um, I'm not in that category. I'm in the category where my higher power speaks to me through other people. So that means if I want to get the message, I've got to be on the phone. So I take phone calls from sponsees in the morning. I speak to my sponsor in the morning. I make phone calls. I'm very blessed I have the kind of job where I can make some phone calls and receive phone calls during the day sometimes. And I make sure that I do that because it saves my butt on a daily basis. I work in, a, in an environment where there's always food in the back. And, you know, the rule of thumb is once lunch is over, once this is over, anything that's left on the table is for anybody. And it's a small office for only seven of us. And so part of my abstinence that many times I forget to talk about uh, part of my absence is that I don't bu- eat food I don't buy. I carry my breakfast, lunch, and dinner because I work a second job. I work out. I mean, I work out of the house in the evenings, and I carry my dinner with me because if I eat, quote, free food, it's free financially, but there's a price. There's no such thing as a free lunch. There's a price to be paid somewhere along the line. There, for me, there's the guilt and the shame. It also means I'm probably going to be eating too much because when I carry my lunch, it's complete. It is a moderately... It is a moderate meal. When I'm carrying my dinner, it's my moderate meal. I know what I need. If I go into anything above that, yeah, it's free. Financially, it's free. It's a gift. But, you know, it's not appropriate. I can't do it. And so I have to watch myself. I have to turn it over. In the morning, I look at my schedule, what's going to be, and I plan out what meals I'm going to take. And if it's, you know, I make sure that I'm set with my food every morning before I leave the house because for me it's dangerous if I don't. For me it's really scary if I just, I, I can't go free fall. Thank you. I'm going to keep going because I like it. <laughs> but I will stop in about five minutes. I, I will leave a few minutes for questions. But it, it's been real important to me not to give in to that free food because it's tempting. You know, when I, when I was at my brother's house and my mother's moving there, so, you know, he doesn't get it. I said, I can't stay in your house. Besides the fact that there's the family dynamic I don't approve of, they don't keep food in there that I can eat. And because my mother has lived in her house for 28 years, I know where all the supermarkets are. I know how to go shopping at her house, but he lives 20 miles away, and I don't know where the stores are near his house. And so guess what? Now I get to learn. The next time I go to visit, I get to learn so that I can buy food and keep my food in his house so that I take care of myself. But... Whenever I've stayed at his house, and it's been like for one night or two, I've either brought my own food in or I've insisted we eat in a restaurant because they don't eat. They don't have food in the house that I can eat, which in a way is good because it means I don't eat food I shouldn't be eating, but I still need to have my three meals a day. And it can't be, you know, to me, I'm, I'm a very scheduled person. I get up at a certain time, same time every day, seven days a week. I eat breakfast, same time, lunch, same time, dinner, same time. And if that's going to deviate, I really need to know because I need to protect myself. I need to set it up in my head what's going to be going on that day. It's the same thing when I travel. Uh, my mother's in South Florida, and I go back and forth. I need to know what I'm going to be eating on the plane, if I'm going to be eating on the plane. Because otherwise, I'm in deep doo-doo. I really am. Because they'll bring out, they'll bring out the peanuts, and, you know, what do you mean I only get one little bag of peanuts? Well, first of all, peanuts are carbohydrates. I don't do carbohydrates anymore. I shouldn't be eating nuts. Uh, no, I'm sorry. Peanuts, I'm allowed to eat something else. I, you know, I can't keep track of it. I just know that my meals are my meal times, and I eat them. And if I have to carry food on the plane, I carry food on the plane. 
if I have to, you know, I've landed, and my brother will say, well, what took you so long to get here? Oh, I just stopped. I needed to, do, I needed to run an errand. What I needed to do was eat lunch before I got to his house, because that's what serves me. I need to take care of myself. I'm willing to go to any lengths to take care of myself. I am eternally grateful for this program. Um, it has given me a life that I never thought would be possible because I, ne- I never had goal- goals or ambitions. It's like, okay, you, know, you get up in the morning, you do your life, bada bing, bada boom. And, now, and I st- you know, now if I can just make it through one day at a time, being abstinent, staying out of my other addictions, being responsible to myself, to the fellowship, to my higher power, to the people around me, I'm grateful. You know, I was almost in a car accident coming here. I mean, I was changing lanes. I put out my signal. I looked. He wasn't there. And then, boom, he was there. Three inches. Three inches. I don't know whose fault it would have been. And I just waved him on. And, you know, as I drove behind him, I said, God bless him. And then I thought, wow. The old me would have been on his tail, giving him the finger, flashing my brights. I would have been yelling and screaming. My head would have been going off. And you know what? I was able to say, you know, he has his path. I have my path. God bless Godspeed. And I let him go, or her, I don't even know if it was a man or a woman. And I just let, let that driver go, and I went along my way, and, and I expressed gratitude right then and there to my higher power. Because I had one more time kept my sanity. Because again, had I gone off the deep end, I'd be beating myself up, and three or four hours later, or three or four days, or three or four weeks later, I'll be eating over it. My disease is just waiting for me to let down my guard one second. And when I say let down my guard, it's not, such a, it's not a rigid thing that I have. I don't have a rigid guard about me anymore, but I have a guard who guards and protects me. And I, and I just take care of it, and I nurture it. You know, it's like if you watch sci- sci-fi, it's like I have a shield around me, but I have to keep feeding the shield generator. If I don't give that shield generator the data, you know, the, the food, the, the energy to protect me, I ain't going to be protected. Thank you for letting me share. I understand we have a little time for for questions. Uh, I'd be more than open to that. Thank you for letting me share. Yes, okay. Please. Do I do I dessert? Do I do desserts as part of my food plan? Is the question. I don't do recreational sugar, but I'll do dessert if it's fresh fruit. Um, that's about the only really dessert that I can think of. When other people are having dessert, if they bring out the dessert cart, if there's not a fresh fruit, not a fruit cup, because many times fruit cup is in the syrup, and the syrup has a lot, it's very sweet for me. It tastes too sweet for me. But uh, as far as desserts, I will have a dessert if it's fresh fruit. If it's not fresh fruit, um, no, I don't. Please. How does program affect my love relationships? Interesting question. I've been dating someone for the last eight and a half months, which is truly a gift from God. It's the first time I've dated in over 20 years. Dated in over 20 years. I've only been in program 14. So, <laughs> kind of gives you, I, I don't have much experience in that realm. Uh, however, I do know that by being in program, I'm able to be present and I'm able to state my needs and live my life. As an example, my boyfriend lives in Las Vegas. I live here. Normally, because I work two jobs, I go to my meetings on Saturday and Sunday. Well, if I'm in Las Vegas, I can't be at meetings in Los Angeles on Saturday and Sunday. I have found meetings in Las Vegas, and there are people there that think I live there now because I'm a regular. Because even though we try to get two weeks of living into two days, 
it's not a negotiable. If I'm there on a Saturday morning, Saturday morning, I leave the house by 10.15. Uh, no, I'm sorry, by 9.45 in order to make a 10.30 meeting because that's what I need. So programs affected me is that I've learned how to stand up for myself and be me in the relationship as well as being us. Please. Yeah, when I came into, did I start my program with no recreational sugar? When I first came into program 14 years ago, I was absent for over a year, and then I lost it, and then I picked it up, and then I lost it. But it's always been no sugar. It used to be no sugar. And um, the reason I make the differentiation is that I now allow myself to go to a restaurant and have uh, Caesar salad with Caesar dressing. Well, the Caesar dressing in a restaurant, my friends, has sugar in it. Nine times out of ten. Uh, I will go to a restaurant and say, let me have a tuna fish platter because I don't eat bread. Uh, the mayonnaise in there has sugar in it. In the old days, no, 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 I can't have that. It has sugar in it. So that's why. But that has been an evolution. And so, in other words, you might say I've taken sugar back. But what I did is it became more relaxed for me. Please. Uh, no, I, I don't eat white flour. I have not eaten white. I gave up white flour uh, 27 years ago because I'm pre-arthritic. And the American Arthritis Association said no white sugar, no white flour, no caffeine, and no red meat. So that was easy. I gave that up before I even got the program. But, but now I don't do any grains. I don't do uh, whole wheat. I used to do whole wheat bread. But I don't do bread. I don't do crackers. I don't do chips. Uh, no, part of that is, is uh, dietary because of, of uh, medical conditions that I have. Do I have a step sponsor to take me through the inventory? Yes. Uh, my, I've been with the same sponsor for over, over 11 years now, 11 and a half years now, and he's taken me through the steps, and he is not my food sponsor. When I first started working with him, uh, I started working with him right after I'd been uh, on a major relapse, and I had been very much into the sugary, sugary candies and all that stuff. And it was a part of my life. I, I prayed to God every day that I don't repeat, because I would walk from my office to the candy machine, past another OA fellow's office, and go to the candy machine. I knew she was an OA. She knew I was an OA. And we were on the level that we could go into her office and close the door and talk about anything. And we could have talked away. And I chose to go to the candy machine, not to go to her. But um, no, and when I, when I first started working with him, I said, okay, I'll call you tomorrow with my food. He says, I don't do food. You've been around long enough. You know what to do with food. And so what I've done is I learned how to do food. I've gotten a, a separate food sponsor when I've needed one. Uh, when my food gets really sloppy and crazy, I start logging it and start calling it and start committing it. He will take it at times, you know, when he knows I'm in... In trouble, he'll say, you know, I'll just say, I need to turn my food over to you. doesn't say a word. But on a regular basis, I don't have a food sponsor. But when I, let, me, let me tell you, when I need one, when the pants are getting tight, when the meals are getting moderate large, food sponsor, make a phone call, enlist someone, write it down, keep a, keep a journal on it in a heartbeat, in a heartbeat. How do I do my 10th step? I don't do my 10th step at night because I tried doing it and I'd always fall asleep during it and wake up three hours later with the light still on, turn off the light and say, well, that was, obviously I had three hours of not really productive sleep. So I, I usually do my 10th step in the morning. During my morning prayer and meditation, I look at the day before. I say, what did I do? How did I do it? How many people did I get angry at on the road? What can I do? 
do I own amends? And a lot of, sometimes if I need to make amends, if I need to make them out to the universe, I'll do them right then and there, right there on the spot. If it's, if it's a driving amends, which I'm still not the best on that, I'll wait till I'm driving because I think that's important, that I do it in the context. If it's a job amends that I need to make either to people or to situations in the job, I wait till I'm on the job. I won't call people from the job at home and say, by the way, what happened in the office yesterday? Morning? No, I wait till I'm there in the, in the, in the context because I think that is, for me, that's stronger. For me, that feel, because that reinforces my amends, that reinforces my learning the new behavior I want to have. If I make an amends to the universe about my driving in my house, that's a heck of a lot different than my making amends to the universe while I'm driving in my car. Um, do I make, when I make my amends to my coworkers, do I say I'm sorry or do I just change my behavior? A little bit of both. It depends on who it's to. Uh, to my boss, who, um, the relationship, he's a great guy, magnificent human being. Eh, as a boss, but he's a great human being. And so sometimes I, I lose the line of employer, employee, you know, it gets muffled. And so uh, I, I'll need to make an amends about something that I said. So I, I will go up to him and say, by the way, you know, about what I said yesterday, or the way I behaved yesterday, I'm really sorry. That was really inappropriate. I will say that to him. Uh, and then also change my behavior to the people that are on my level. Um, depending on who the person is, you know, the harder ones, I tend to just change the behavior. And the easier ones, I tend to say I'm sorry to. The, and although the easier ones, I tend not to have to do it to. And the harder ones, I... You know, I've just learned to uh, bite my tongue. So it's 20 past, and I guess there's something here that I'm supposed to do. I think I'm supposed to say thank you. Well, no, no, no. Leader reads, it is now time for a second. Well, thank you for letting me be of service, and it's now time for the secretary to <laughs> come.